0: Well, today we're going to start a new sermon series. It's going to be entitled, The Sermon That Turned the World Upside Down. So we realize as we meet here by faith to worship a God we can't see, that this is not what the world does, right? When I say the world, I mean just the system of this world that lives according to what you see, the pride of life, the pride in possessions, Um lives for earthly fame, power, and glory. It's not natural, natural, according to this world, for a bunch of people to get together and worship a God they can't see. That's a little upside down, according to the world, right? But the reality is, there is a God who we can't see, who gave his Son to, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, to rise again for our justification, and there's a whole kingdom that is invisible to man, Invisible when the saints of God come together to worship a holy and mighty and awesome God. Amen? The thing is, this system has different principles also. There's different principles. So in the world, what do we want to naturally, even us, let's be honest, what do we want to teach our kids? Someone hits you, you better hit them back. <clears throat> right? We get our lessons from the mafia instead of the Bible. Like my father-in-law once in a while is just like, he'll say something like, keep your friends close and your enemies close, they would be like, that's in the Bible, right? And I'll be like, no, that's in good fellas. You know what I mean? Like, no, you can't get, that's not our kingdom, Joe. Like, that's not our kingdom. Our kingdom is we got to turn the other cheek. Our kingdom is got to pray for those who spitefully use us. Our kingdom is we serve, we love, we follow a king, a homeless savior who gave his life while he was rejected and despised by this world. You understand how that's totally upside down? The Messiah comes, and he doesn't say he doesn't come. He doesn't say, kiss my ring. He doesn't just sit and wait for people to come and get the what people would consider the highest tier job. He comes to a place that you would call Lynn, right? Nazareth. That's the Lynn of our place, right? He comes from there. He works in a trade as a carpenter, right? If you're the son of God, if you're the word become flesh, do you pick carpentry? I don't care how much you like framing it out. When it gets hot, you're like, man, I should have went to school, right? He chooses a job as a carpenter. He says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve you. I didn't come, I came to lay down my life. Do you understand? This is all upside down according to the kingdom of this world. And this is so important for us to understand because our life, our behavior, our beliefs, our principles should be different than those who don't believe. It's upside down to this world, but it's right side up when it comes to reality. One of my favorite theologians, preachers, and writers is John Piper. And he was doing maybe a seminar or just a conference or he was preaching. And um, one of the young men asked from the congregation, they were doing a time of question and answers. He said, don't you think that Christianity is a crutch, right? Don't you love that guy you meet? It's only people with problems go to church. Come on. I'm here. You're there. Go to church. If that helps you do it. You know what I mean? So the dude asked, don't you think it's a crutch for people to go to church? And you will be amazed by John Piper's answer, and it's the right answer. He said yes. You know why? Because we all are spiritually disabled. We all are spiritually handicapped. We all are emotionally handicapped. And some of us are, some of us are physically handicapped. Have you ever looked at someone with a crutch, with a broken leg, and said, why does he have a crutch? What's wrong with him? I'd rather watch him stagger around, right? I'd rather watch him crawl around. What's wrong with him? Just walk around without that crutch. You say, no, man, you got a broken leg. You better get a crutch so you can walk rightly. It's the same with us. You better get Jesus. You better find the gospel. You better put your faith in God if you want to know rightly, be rightly, walk rightly, and be made perfect by the person and work of Jesus Christ. The secret is, everyone's messed up, just some people don't admit it, right? Some people have this costume, this facade, and they use other things to numb the pain, they use other idols, and they worship other things, but we all are broken without God because we were made to worship and know God as image bearers, and when we don't have God, we're unsatisfied ultimately, we're broken eternally, and we need Jesus, all of us. I'll say this as your pastor, I'm a broken man. I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm hopeless without Jesus. I'm helpless without Jesus. I can't even walk or breathe or get up today if it was not for God. And that's what we need to hear today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where Jesus starts. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are helpless and say they need help. Blessed are those who recognize they're sinners and they need a holy God. Blessed are those who say, I can't even walk without God. I need you. I can't even see without you. I'm blind without you. I'm hopeless without you. I'm crippled without you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's dive right here, Matthew 5, 1 through 3. I I pray that people are encouraged today in the gospel, because your God is a gracious God. Your God is a loving God. Your God is a patient God. Your God is a God who laid down his life for you. I want you to hear that today. While you're eating your ribs this afternoon, I just want you to be all jacked up with the gospel. You know what I mean? So let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 1 through 3. And this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's start that with just that first part of the first verse when he says seeing the crowds. What was happening was Jesus' fame was starting to grow. Not only was he the best preacher to ever walk this earth, his preaching was partnered with his power through healings, through miracles, through signs and wonders, through exorcisms. So he would not only get up here and preach, and I would be like, no one's ever preached like that. No one's ever preached with that authority. No one's ever preached with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, like that. But he'd finish off his preaching, and someone would get up and walk. He'd finish off his preaching, and the blind would see. He'd finish off his preaching, and he'd cast out demons, and people were liberated. He'd his preaching, and signs and wonders were done. His fame was spreading. Word of mouth, no Twitter, no Facebook, no emails. People were seeing each other in the streets and saying, have you heard of Jesus? And if you haven't, you better go hear him preach and you better go see him perform signs and wonders because he's like no one you ever heard of or have seen before. So the crowds are coming. The crowds are full. of They're diverse. So our crowd today is probably diverse. There's probably some of us who believe in Jesus, right? We follow Jesus. There's some of us who are seeking and saying, I'm sensing a calling that there's more to this life. I want to hear about Christianity. I want to know and hear about this God. I want to hear about Jesus. You know? There's others who came and you're opponents of it. You said, there's free ribs today. I don't like it, but man, I'll, I'll come and listen, right? So it was a diverse crowd. People who believed, people who were singing and seeking, maybe singing, I don't know, and opponents. That's the crowd that made up Jesus' crowd. So the disciples came in close. But there were people here saying, what's going on with this famous Jesus who's doing all this? I need to hear him preach for the first time. And then there were people who were opponents who actually were saying, man, we've got to get this guy killed. we got to get him crucified. He can't be doing this. So I love when a church is made up of like that. I love when there's believers, there's seekers. I love a few opponents. I love a few good looks while you're preaching. Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that? That's good and healthy. And so I want us to hear today that the people who believe I want you to be encouraged and challenged and mature in your faith um, as you hear these words. To the people who are seeking, I would encourage you to keep seeking, keep looking, because Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the truth, and there is a God who is love and who gave his life for you. And those people who are opponents, I got nothing to say to you. No, I do. Keep seeking, too. I'm messing around. I was going to say crucify me, but that felt weird. You know, so I had to stop for a second and say, you're getting weird up here, Joey. You don't get... Don't get weird, okay? <laughs> Alright. So, seeing the crowds, they went up to the mountains. So, it's important. Brian told me he had to leave before. He's not an opponent, and he's not leaving right now. So, he told me, Joey, I gotta leave halfway through. So, someone bring him some ribs home. And so, I wanna set the scene for you in Galilee. So, if anyone's seen some pictures of the topography in Galilee, you'll see that there's hilly areas and then there's plains. What these places would act like, because they had no microphones back then, they would be like natural amphitheaters. So you wouldn't even need a mic. If you stood at the bottom of the hill or the top of the hill, you could get a crew of thousands of people and they could hear you speak because they had no sound systems. One guy said he went to what believes, they believe they know the historic site and it could be, but the scripture doesn't tell us they built like a church there. And they have the historic site. So they have the tour guides go there. And the guy said he could hear the tour guide talking when he was up close. Then he went like 70 yards away and he could still hear him clearly. And the guy wasn't screaming or yelling or anything. So that's what's going on here because Jesus gets on that hill to see a galley there that's helping the cause. It's kind of the setting with this national, um, natural amphitheater. And he begins to preach and he begins to preach sitting down. Now I used to make fun of people who preach sitting down. Like, what's wrong with him? Why is he sitting down preaching? You better get up and move around. I didn't know they had fallen the model of Jesus. That was my fault. Now, I'm not saying he, he, uh, sat down every time he preached. But when he started this sermon, he went up to the hill or to the bottom of the hill. Some people, there's some conflict there with theologians. And he sat down. So that gives you a little of his personality. He's just, he's laid back at this time. He's, a, he's about to teach about the kingdom of God. He sits down and he opens his mouth and he begins to teach. And he preaches a message that turns the world upside down. It's so revolutionary, so contrary to what everyone has ever heard in their lives. We say only the strong survive. He said the weak do. We say the kingdom is for the greatest. He said this kingdom is for the weakest. You know, like everything is upside down. He opens up his mouth and it just revolutionized everything. The crowds are just like, what does he talk about? It's joyful to some people. It bothers other people. But I want us to hear this message. And the first words that come out of his mouth are so important. The first words that a preacher says, the first words that the Son of God says are important. He chose to start with this in his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So some people wrongly hear that and they'll think theologically blessed are the poor, like being in poverty or having no money is a criteria for being in the kingdom of God. That is not true. There's many rich Christians, there were many rich Christians, and they use their money to fund the church and its mission and all those things. Poverty is not the answer. Jesus is. Yes, there were many poor people. Jesus was poor. But there were already rich people who used their money for the glory of God. It's poverty of spirit he's talking about. And he starts with this word, blessed. So when you think of blessed, what do you think about? I want to give you a few synonyms right here to think about. First of all, I want you to think about fortunate, right, approved, and happy. So if you put that in where blessed was every time, you could put fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Approved by God are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you? Ever, when's the last time you looked at someone that was a believer and they were going through suffering, they were going through heartache, and you said? He's, he's the most fortunate person in the world because he has Jesus, right? You know who I look at fortunate? Athletes. I look at LeBron James, man. I'm like, that dude is fortunate, right? The system says he's 6'8", 270. He's a linebacker playing basketball. At 18, he signed a deal with Nike, right? The dude, we think he has it all. Says he's going to be a billionaire in a few years. Sometimes we can get dragged into thinking he's the fortunate person, and he could be. I'm not knocking LeBron. I'm just using an example of someone we know in society. We look at the fortunate blessed, happy people according to the system of the world. We say, who has money? Who has fame? Who has power? Who does the exact job they want to? Who takes off on the weekend whenever they want to? Who has the outfits they want to? Who has the control they want to? They are fortunate. When's the last time you looked at yourself and got up in the morning and said, man, I'm poor in spirit. I'm blessed. I'm approved by God. Look at yourself over there. Just all approved by God. When was the last time you did that? Was that time we walked by someone getting the coffee in the back? And said, "You're fortunate, brother. You're poor in spirit." That's how we have to look at it. We are blessed because God is ours, because Jesus is ours, because we are part of the church, because the Holy Spirit is ours, because the future is ours, because eternity is ours. You are the most fortunate and blessed, and should be the most happiness, happiness and happiest. People that work. You are approved by God and you don't have to work for it because everything that Jesus did. How much does that change your attitude? No more are we coveting other people who we think are fortunate. We're saying we should be the ones to be desired, to be like because God has died for us and he has awakened our hearts to the truth of the gospel. We have everything. If we have Jesus, we are blessed. So think of that as we think. Now blessed are the poor. In spirit. I'm just using another quote from John Piper because I just thought he hit a home run when he did. It. He just analyzed this whole thing right here. So some of us might ask ourselves, what is poverty of spirit? What does this mean? Blessed are those who have poverty of spirit. And he gave some helpful thoughts. He said, it is a sense of powerlessness in us. Those who are poor of spirit say, I don't have the power in me to do this. What does the world teach you? Look inside of you. You're so strong. Unpack the glory. God says, the poor in spirit who see this, you know what's in there? A lot of stuff that's not good, right? He says, you are powerless. And when you recognize you're powerless, then you will have true strength because it's found in God. Do you hear me? That's what God reveals. That's what the Bible reveals. That when you realize you're powerless, that's where your true power lies. Secondly, he says, it's a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. So true. We'll get a little more into that. It's, it is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It's a sense, man, I'm a sinner. When you stand for holy God, I'm constantly saying it. And people are like, he says he's a sinner too much. That's the gospel. That we rejoice in the fact that we are a sinner because God was perfect. I ran into a guy down the street he was from an old church I went to and we were coming out of brother's deli and I said hey how you doing he said yeah I'm doing good man it's good to see you how you doing and he asked about the church I said it's doing good I said we're all just a bunch of sinners figuring it out because the gospel comes in he I was like I, I said you know right he said I used to be a sinner it's my fault though my fault. I didn't know you were walking pure and blameless I didn't know you had this thing down every attitude every thought you don't get mad ever. You? Like, you're perfect. Like, we got to set up a shrine here for you. He said, he looked at me dead serious. Like, don't you say I'm a sinner. Used to be a sinner. You guys can work through that stuff. I'm over here. just holy. And I was thinking, man, that, that ain't poor spirit, brother. Like, you ain't are not ever going to get to a point where you are sinless in this life. Does that mean we go on sinning and we have a license to sin? No. But that means when you fall, God's grace is there to pick you up and strengthen you. That's what that means. Poor and spare says, yes, I'm a sinner. From the pastor all the way through, we are sinners. That's why we come here to glory in Jesus who was sinless. That's the gospel. That everyone's bad. There's only one who is good, and that was Jesus. And that creates, that, that changes your whole life. You're not in here. Like what happens in churches sometimes is like, we're the good people. They are the bad people out there. No, we're the bad people too. Jesus saved us. He changed us. He gave his life for us. And we're good because of Jesus, not because we're perfect morally. That's the gospel. And that will change the way you evangelize, the way you wake up, the way you read the Bible, the way you know the gospel, and the way you know God because that's the truth. And that's what Jesus preached in the Bible reveals. It is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. When you see God's value, it is a sense that if there is to be any life for joy or usefulness, it would have to be all God and all grace. This is one of the greatest things I get to say as a preacher, right? Preaching the gospel is encourage people that there is no joy outside of God. There is no joy without the gospel. You can have moments where you think that you're easing the pain and having joy, but that comes to an end with God. It is eternal satisfaction. When we are in the gospel and in Jesus, through the person and work of Jesus. He's the only one that can make you happy. You know, I feel good that part of my vocation is calling people to the reality of God. Because life's a change when people realize that truth. I had a contract I used to work with. Let me tell you this, contract is our shysters, man. It is hard to find a contract. What's wrong with these guys, right? And so I was slow and someone recommended a guy. And right when he showed up on the scene, I knew there was trouble in paradise, right? He had the Bluetooth. When someone has that Bluetooth, you know, if you wear a Bluetooth, God bless you, I'm not knocking you. I had a season in my life where I wore a Bluetooth. But when a contractor rolls up with a Bluetooth, like things are that busy, that he might get a call in the middle of the car. Hold on right there. Then you need to rethink some stuff. He showed up with the Bluetooth, perfectly iron jeans. The man had a beautiful head of hair. He'd gel it just perfect and had that Magnum PI mustache that these 80 brothers won't let go of. So he had that, and he just looked all put together. He kind of had a strut up there, and I said, this is not good. I said, I, I know a shyster when I see him. He rolled up, and he showed me the job, and I said, man, I shouldn't do work for this guy, but I need to play the game and just stay ahead of him with checks because I need the money. So we're doing the job. Will you believe he wrote me that first check? I've never seen a man write a check more confidently in my life. Joe, you come over here. I'll write this check for you right now. The pen, how much you need. He writes that check. He gives me the check. Thank you for what you did. I'm about to go on vacation next week. I go to the bank. Bounce. Right? Second check. You right here. I got money. I'm taking care of you. You're all right. Take this check. Bounce. I said, this can't be real right here. I mean, usually it's about three checks in, then they'll bounce one on you. They want to get the foundation laid before they start messing with you. This dude started bouncing checks right out the gate. So I'm meeting them on the corners for cash. It was just a fiasco. It got to the point at the end where I'm just trying to stay ahead because I had a few jobs going with them that I had to, if I got out, I was losing money. I was saying, can you write me a check? I'd get that check and I'd take off to the bank. One time I got the check. It was, it should have been the final one and I was just done. I go to the check. It was bounced. He had no money in there. He was bankrupt. He was writing me a check with confidence. And the bank was down the street. And there's no money in the bank. Do you know some of us do that with our own lives? On the outside, you look like you have it together. You're writing checks. You're acting like you have life together. You're signing with confidence. If people ask you, everything's all right. But in God's bank, your checks are bouncing. Your checks are bouncing. You're writing your checks out and you said, I've done this much good works. This got to be good in God's economy. This got to be good. Bounced. You're right, man. I did so many charity walks and I'm so charitable. I've got to be approved by God, right? You go to the bank. Bounce. I went to church three times this year. I am so holy. Holy. Bounce. 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 We are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to give God but our sin, receive his grace, and have faith. And that is poor in spirit. When you realize your helplessness, you realize that no matter how good you are the rest of your life, you cannot be approved by God. Then your deposits are going to matter. When you realize no matter how many times you walk this late, no matter how good the causes are, you can never walk enough. To be approved by God. Then you understand what poverty of spirit is. That all the work was done by Jesus. And it's all his grace. All day, every day. That is poverty of spirit. So what does it mean? So we're blessed, happy, fortunate. Are the poor in spirit. We just went over some of the things that identify someone who's poor in spirit. They're helpless before God. They need God. They're sinners before God. They receive his grace. They put their faith in him for any kind of strength. But this is the kingdom of heaven. Why do you want the kingdom of heaven, right? You want to know the reward's worth it. You want to know the reward is worth it. So let's start here. What do you think of when you think of a kingdom? I think of the king first, right? You got a king. You got some people. You got some principles that govern the people. And it's in a certain place. I started there because the most, the best reward you would get, the thing you want the most is the King. Right? The thing that is most satisfying, the thing that will make you so happy, that thing is most blessing, give you the most blessings in your life is King Jesus. To have a relationship with God, through the person work of Jesus, is what you want first in the Kingdom of Heaven. You were meant to live in a relationship with God. And sometimes we can be doing religious things and forget about the relationship, right? We can be doing religious things, but what you really want is a relationship with this king. And this king ain't like Game of Thrones. I watched like a few episodes of Game of Thrones. I said, these kings are messed up. I'm not knocking Game of Thrones though, Alex. I would never do that for you. But the kings were so messed up. They were drunk. They were immoral. They didn't care about their people. They cared about their power. They were bananas. Like this kingdom, I would never want to be a part of the Game of Thrones kingdom. Like people are like dead the next episode who were best friends the one before. And the king was in charge of it. Like who wants to be in a kingdom with that kind of king? But this is a king who gave up his life for his people. You know, we always have beef with political figures and earthly kings and this and that. This king is nothing like that. This king is a perfect king who loves you, who cares for you, who died for you, who sacrifices life for you. That's the kind of king, King Jesus is. And that's what you get first with the kingdom. The next thing you get are the people. I like being around people who are governed by King Jesus, don't you? I've been in systems of this world. I'm like, get me out of here. I'm so glad I have my own business now. Because when I worked as an apprentice, it was like dog-eat-dog world. Everyone was competing. Everyone was behind each other's back. Everyone was trying to get each other to fight. It was a nightmare. I said, what kind of kingdom is this? I thought we were supposed to be in here together. Everyone is competing with each other. Everyone is trying to get more power. It was a horrible system of this world. The church is not like that. There's no competition. You know? And when we do, we need to repent of it. (laughs) But it's good to be around the people of God and know that we're going to care for each other. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to lay our life down for each other. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to forgive each other and not judge each other. Isn't it good to go a place and not be judged? I honestly don't feel like I, I, I judge any of you guys because I'm so messed up. I can't come in here judging, right? That would be really messed up. Isn't it good to be in a place you're not judged here at Restoration Row? I'll say's say as the pastor, I'm not judging you. I'm calling you to the gospel. It's good to be in the kingdom like that, right? You're not judged how you dress. You're not judged how you talk, how you act, what you do. You know, none of that, none of that here, because this is the kingdom of God. This kingdom's built on grace, not anyone's works. We're all in a different place. Some of us could be suicidal. Some of us could be in a great place. Some of us could be losing our faith. Some of us could be growing in our faith. Some of us could be like, I'm never coming back again. Like, some of us could be, I love this place, I'm going to be here till I die. Like, there's so many different places people are today. Know that this kingdom is about grace. We're for you, we're with you, and we'll lay down our lives for you. That's how this kingdom is, because of Jesus. And that's how we need to be. That's another blessing of the kingdom. And then the principles are all different. So you notice when I'm up here preaching something, sometimes I'll say something that's totally contrary to this culture, and people will say, what are you talking about? Everyone does that. I know. (laughs) That doesn't mean it's right. Just because everyone does it. Like Everyone did a bunch of stuff in Jesus' day. That didn't make it right. Well, Millions and millions of people think this way. I don't care. I care what Jesus says. I care what Jesus I see what God reveals in His kingdom. I can't live by the principle of this world. It's a nightmare. I'm not going to live according to this culture. I'm listening to the revealed words of Jesus, the Son of God, who always has been, who always will be, who is king and has everything good for us and is for us and laid down his life for us. That's one we should live our lives by. Those principles should govern us. The last should be first here. We shouldn't be fighting for titles and who's up front. That's not what we fight for here. Who can be the greatest servant in here? That's a different principle, right? Kimless World, you know, I was watching Wife Swap. Anyone watch that? I'm sorry. I did it. I, I hadn't done it for a while, and it was on, and I was tired. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm watching Wife Swap. And it, the Lifestyles of the Rich or Famous was on there. I forget his name, but his voice is unbelievable. It don't matter what he does, man. His voice is just, you know, just good. But this dude's idea of life was he just wanted to be served the whole time. And God bless him. I ain't Was it Robin Leach or something? I ain't judging Robin Leach's soul. I'm just saying he did some funny stuff on the show. He was like, life is everyone serves me. They make me food. They bring me wine. Life is about me. But this kingdom is totally different. Where we should actually be seeking and striving and hungry to be the greatest servant in here. Those are totally different principles, right? How about loving your enemy? When's the last time you heard about that in the kingdom? That's one of the hardest ones. How about praying for your enemy? That's what Jesus... How about someone smacks you in the face? Who's turned the other cheek in here? Some of you should because you haven't fought in years and you'll get beat down. How many people... It's natural to you to turn the other cheek. But that's what we should be. We should be the most peaceful, loving, caring, gentle people in the world. That's what this kingdom is. And where is this kingdom? See, you notice in the Beatitudes, if you look at all of them, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, says, theirs is now, present tense. And the last one said, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is now the kingdom of heaven. It's sandwiched in there. That's how the Beatitudes are sandwiched. The rest are, blessed are those who mourn for they shall. Or, blessed are those who peacemaker for they shall. So it's a uh, future tense. The kingdom of God is both now within, and is it a future realized thing upon the return of Jesus. So the kingdom of God lives within you now through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. All of us, God is working in us to transform us, to make us more like Christ in this world for the glory of God. So we can turn the other cheek. So we can be lights in this world. So we can be sanctified. So we can bring Glory to God, because you can hear these beatitudes, and what they should do, they should make you feel helpless. Like if I said that you were called to grow in a place that you turn the other chicken and get smacked in the face, you should have said, I, ne- I can never do that. That can't happen. But I say, yes, you can, because the kingdom that lives within you can change you in ways you never thought. I just said, pray for your enemies. You said, man, I pray for those people I like. I ain't praying for my enemies. You should feel helpless. But when you're poor in spirit and say, God, I need help. Help me to pray for my enemies. God can change you and give you new heart affections, new desires, new behaviors, new thoughts, and you can actually pray for your enemy. He can change your heart in those areas. There's some people that hear things and say, I can't do that. I can't change. I can't be holy. Yes, you can because the kingdom of God is within. You guys hear me? That's a lie of this world that you can't be changed and transformed by the power of gospel because your heart, your mind, and your life can be absolutely changed. Some things the gospel do to us, does to us and the kingdom of heaven does is you can be absolutely transparent about your sinfulness and your brokenness and your need for God. Like once in a while, I check myself because I'll be out to lunch with someone. I'll be up here. Or I'll just be in conversation and I'll share an anxiety or a struggle or a passing or whatever. I'll share it and I'll be like, should I be doing that as a pastor? <laughs> Shouldn't I be real holy up here? I'm holy by the work of Jesus, and God has sanctifying me and grown me areas. But if I get up here and act like I have no struggles, act like there's no anxieties, act like I'm not struggling through my own sins in my life, my own attitudes, that's going to create a culture where we're all going to put on costumes to each other. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there on Sunday morning in small groups. Everyone shows up, how are you doing? You're not that happy. You are not that happy. You don't even want to be here. You know what I mean? Like, we have to, no one has to put on these kind of costumes here. Some days you get up, you don't want to come to church. Come anyways. You think I feel like coming every Sunday morning? Come on now. And I see dudes driving by with golf clubs just like, you missed it, dog. You missed it. I'm like, what's up, man? What's up? Go to church again? Of course, I love it, but my flesh battles Sometimes. Home group, Bible studies, do another message, meet with, like, what, I, I love it and I enjoy it, but my flesh once in a while is just like, Joey, there's happiness on another road. You know, like, you're a gifted man. Go use it for money and pleasure in yourself. Stop this stupidity. You don't think I go through that? That's honest. But the kingdom of God within me, the gospel, the calling, the love for you guys, the love for God, doesn't let me do that. But I go through those same struggles. You guys need to hear that because you probably go through the same struggles too. That's important. But our identity is in the gospel and it's the kingdom of God so we don't have to hide behind facades or costumes. Because we are who we are, God is who he is, and he has changed us. Ours is the kingdom of God. We are the most fortunate people on earth. The gospel is free. Can you imagine this? What a nightmare if we had to work for salvation. None of us would make it. (laughs) That's horrible news. People get up there and preach that. You do this, this, and this, you're in. Say a few of these and come on over. No. That doesn't help. What helps, what did help eternally is Jesus. And we, our identity in the kingdom of God, we can be blessed because we're poor of spirit, because we say we are broken, because we say need help, because we say we need each other, because we say we need God. For ours is the kingdom of heaven. And the final thing I want to say here is... If Jesus opens up like that and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's excluding some people, whether we like it or not. If only certain people get into the kingdom of heaven, that means some people are not in the kingdom of heaven. That's the truth of scripture. There are some people who will never be poor in spirit. And if you're someone who is prideful and does not need God... I'll say, you don't need forgiveness, I need Jesus. I really want you to listen to me right now. I need you to hear this. This kingdom is for the poor in spirit. Every man or woman has to come to a place where they say, I'm nothing without God. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I need the gospel. If we don't come to that place, we're not in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus taught. It is the foundation, not only for the Sermon of the Mount, but for relationship with God. And unless someone is broken in that way, you cannot know God. So I encourage anyone here, I don't know who believes and who doesn't, and I know some of you do, put your faith in Jesus. Be broken and transparent before God. Be ushered into this kingdom by the grace of God. For the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen?